All right, Psalm 4. Answer me when I call you my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin when you are on your beds. Search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy with their grain and new, uh, when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. G'day, everyone. My name is Scott. Uh, I don't know where this rumour is that I'm Pirate Peter has come from, but nevertheless, well done on making it out today. It's cold and wet. You're here. Well done. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and God, we are so grateful that you're not a God who's distant, but you are you, you are here with us and you speak to us so clearly through your word. So in the next little while, we just pray that you'd help us be attentive to what you're saying so that our hearts would be in tune with what you're doing in this world and with who you want us to be. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I want to start today by telling you about uh, my friend whose name is Ollie. I met Ollie at a church that we were both going to. Um, we knew each other for, I think, about two years, probably two years, and got to know each other pretty well in that time. And in those two years, things were going pretty well for him. Not that life never had down, uh, downsides for Ollie in those two years, but, but generally things were going well. He was studying engineering, which is a hard course, uh, but he was on top of it. He had a growing, expanding group of friends at church, he was becoming a leader. He was being trained to lead a community group. Uh, and, and then I moved cities. I uh, moved away. Didn't see Ollie for an, a number of years until we caught up again. And things had changed for my friend in this time. In those few years, things hadn't gone so well for him. Uh, he'd finished his uni course. He'd, he'd done fine. He, he got through. He, but the, the, the job market had become a lot tighter and he just couldn't find anywhere that was willing to employ him straight out of uni with no experience so he'd moved to a bigger city in the hope that surely in a bigger city there's more job opportunities right but it didn't happen for him again now he was living in a new place where he knew very few people uh, he was new in his church and he still didn't have a job and for him this led to the onset of, of, of deeper depression so we met up together and he kept saying to me, life just hasn't gone the way I expected. Life has taken some hard turns. This is not how I hoped things would be. What do you do in those moments? It's, it's hard, isn't it? And actually, sometimes, sometimes being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus can make it harder. Here you are, you're believing in God, you're trying to honour him with your life, but, but things still take you know, a wrong turn. And it can be all sorts of things, can't it? Uh, 
You might be like my friend who, who couldn't get a job, but there's stacks of other things. Relationships might end badly, or you have a close friend who gets ill, or you yourself get a diagnosis that changes everything. Uh, the, the hopes and plans and dreams for the future that you have are just crushed by something that you never expected to happen. You know, it can seem so easy to keep following God when things are going well. Um, What's the old phrase? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But what about when life takes a a wrong turn? When the events of life seem to just turn against you? What do you do then? What do you do then? I mean, we all know the right answer, isn't it? You've got to keep on sticking with God. We know that is the right answer. But, But if we're honest... Those moments can cause us to ask questions. This isn't really working. Is there something better there? Is there something different? Maybe I don't need to give up on God entirely right now, but maybe I just need to have like a different focus for a while. I've got to do something else to get through this, right? That's what Psalm 4 is about. During the school holidays, we're just slowly working our way through the Psalms. And today we're in Psalm 4. And in Psalm 4, we meet a king who's in distress. A king in distress. Am I booming a little bit? I'm going to turn that away just in case. Uh, Listen to the cry of the king in verse 1. He says, Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Clearly, there's something wrong here, isn't there? We're not given specifics about what's happening to David. We're We're not told that this happens at a specific time or a specific event in his life. But we do get some kind of clues as, as you go through the psalm. So in verse 7, it's, it says that they're looking forward to a time when there'll be a good harvest, which suggests right now the crops aren't actually growing. And this is leading to economic problems. There's not enough. So people are crying out in verse 6, who will bring us prosperity? Now here the people are willing to give anything a try, anything at all. They They just want to find something that's going to fix their problem, something to make the crops grow again. And so in verse 2, they're even willing to try out other gods. They, they, they seek out false gods, which are really just delusions. See, this isn't just an, an economic problem. It's not just about the fact that the crops aren't growing. It's a spiritual crisis too. Because here are people turning away from their God. And the King David, he looks over the land and he sees this happening and it upsets him. It upsets him because he's their king. He's their ruler. He's the one who's supposed to be guiding this nation, leading them to honour God, the God who made them a nation in the first place. And he looks over his people and he sees that they're abandoning their, their God. He sees them willing to give any old idol a try, just something, whatever's going to make it work, and it reflects badly on him as their king. Verse 2 shows us how he really feels. He looks out over the people and he says, How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? The people are supposed to be the crowning glory of their king as they stay faithful to their God. 
But instead, they're willing to give any old God a go, any old idol. Come on in. They'll surrender to any God that might just give them what they want. And so they bring shame on their king. I think we kind of get this idea, don't we? We, we, we get what it's like. like. Think about when you were a kid. And you know, your parents take you out somewhere, maybe, maybe to go to the shops, do some shopping. And they always wanted you to be, when you're out and about with us, they always want you to be on, the, on your best behaviour, right? Because if you're a good kid, surely that reflects well on them as parents. They've brought you up well, and look, you can behave yourself when you're out and about. But if you're naughty when you're out at the shops... That reflects badly on them. Everyone can look and say, well, the kid is bad, so is there something wrong with the parents? I know that's a generalisation, but isn't that how most parents feel? And, and as you're a kid, you felt that your parents wanted you to behave when you're out and about, right? That's kind of like what is going on with King David here. He's, he's the king of his people, and yet here he is with his people willing just to give up on God. They're not loyal, and so the king is brought to shame by his people. This is what's causing the king distress. So in Psalm 4, the king calls his people back to God. He's saying to them, yes, times are tough, the crops are not growing, but do not turn away from your God. Stay true to him. Be faithful. And he really says two things to them. Firstly, he says, remember, guys, remember who I am. Verse, verse 3 says this, Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Who's the one that's set apart? Who's the faithful servant of the Lord? It's not just anyone who serves God well. In, in the psalm here, it's a particular person. It's David himself. That is, David is the one the Lord hears when he calls out. David's reminding the people of who he is. Uh, he is God's chosen king. In Psalm 2, just a couple of Psalms before, we've heard about the fact that God now relates to the king, to, to, to David, like a father. The king is like his son. It's so, so close, so tight. David is reminding them of who he is as a way of telling his people, God has not abandoned you. God has not abandoned you. He's given, he's given you me. The king. He's made promises to be close with us and to hear my prayers. God is going to stick by those promises. So will you stick by him? Don't abandon God because he has not abandoned you. That's what David is saying. And if you think about it, that's exactly what we need to know when life takes those wrong turns, isn't it? When life is painful, yes, it is tough, but we need to know amidst our pain that God has not abandoned us. His love for you in those moments has not waned. He has not forgotten you. His ear is turned to you, ready to hear, ready to listen to your prayers. If you're going, even you know, you might be going through those moments like David was at the start of the psalm, where he's just crying out from deep anguish, begging for release, asking God to bring an end to whatever it is. Even in those moments, we need to remember, we need to know this, we need to hear this, friends. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has not forsaken you. No matter how hard life might get, God 
has promised he will not abandon you. And that's what the king, King David, wanted to remind his people of. God had not abandoned them. But there's a second thing that that David says to the people too. He also says to them, remember how to relate to your God. Life is tough at the moment and the crops aren't growing, but don't use that as an excuse for sin. Don't use that as an excuse to turn away and do whatever you want to do. Uh, Verse 4, look at verse 4. Uh, It says, tremble and do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Even in this moment, God is still God. More than that, God is still the holy God. So be in awe of him and do not sin. When I was growing up, I played footy. And I had this coach, Ronnie was his name. Um, for, for most of the time, Ronnie was my coach. And after a year or so of playing, I started, I started playing, I was in the backs. It's kind of boring. Uh, but Ronnie, after a year or so, got me to play in the fours. And I thought, yes, brilliant. All the action is there. That's where I want to be playing. So much more fun. Anyhow, uh, three or four games into playing in the fours, I was getting used to it. But three or four games into it, I had a, just a stinker of a game, like a shock. I played terribly. Um, now, let me tell you something about Ronnie. Ronnie was not afraid of, of telling you what he thought. If he had something on his mind, it, it came out of his mouth. And um, after that game, I knew exactly what Ronnie thought of my performance. Uh, Scotty, take a good... I find it hard to do his voice. Scotty, take a good hard look at yourself. Do you want to play in the forwards, do you? Then go out there and have a go. Don't do that again, or you'll be playing in the backs pretty soon. Um, he may have used a few more words than what I did just then, but you catch the drift of what he was saying, right? And as I stood before Ronnie that day, I was silent. Maybe I just nodded and said, yes, Ron. But that would have been about it. I mean, what, what more was there to say at that point? Strange as it may be, that's kind of what David is saying to his people here. Look at the words... When you're on your beds, search your hearts. Saying, take a good hard look at yourselves. You know you're in the wrong here. You you should not be deserting your God. And be silent. There is nothing to say in your defense. So don't don't try and make excuses now. Own, Own your problem. It's a very serious call to flee from a very serious problem. Because even in the moments of, of grief, even when time is hard, even in the midst of crisis, sin is not the answer. Sin is still as grievous as it was every other day. And David's got something else to say. He, he, he doesn't just say... Well, don't do this. He also shows you what to do as well. He wants them to look at the example of the righteous. So in verse 5, he says, Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. See, despite this failure of of their crops, there are still those who are honouring God. 
They're offering their sacrifices, which is the way that they were supposed to live in the Old Testament times. Offering their sacrifices, they were keeping on trusting God, they were keeping the faith. So David says, look at them and follow their lead. Follow their example. Do likewise. I think in the moments where life seems like it turns against us, it can be easy to just let godliness slide. And the problems of life just seem so big, and they, they are. They, they, they cause us real angst and, 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 and real stress. And when that happens, it can just be so easy to forget how big God is, how awesome he is, and, and, and how grievous sin is. Because the troubles of life just blow up and seem so big. Which is why David points to examples here. Follow the example of the righteous. Because that's the beauty of having an example to follow, isn't it? It means I, I might be struggling to think clearly about which way to go and what to do. But I can look at someone else's way of life and I can copy them. Which can help me keep honouring God. Keep, keep walking in his ways. And I can do this even though times are hard and even though I'm not thinking straight. Do, do you see why having an example is so good? Friends, this is why I love the fact that we are a multi-generational church. We're not all in the same phase of life here. We've got newborns to grey hairs, maybe even no hairs. Uh, And there's a lot to love about that. One of the things to love is that um, right here in our church, We've got lots of examples, examples of what it's like to follow Jesus and what it's like to follow Jesus in different situations and even those times where life gets hard. We don't need to, to, to wander and try and find those examples. I was in a church once where at 27, I was one of the you know, oldest people in the church. We don't need to, we, we're multi-generations. We don't need to go outside and look for other examples to follow. We've got people right here in front of us. Praise God for that. This is a good thing. So I want to talk to you just right now if you're one of the younger generations here. Look at the lives of those who are um, of those who are older Christians, who are stable Christians, and who've been that way for a while. Look at them and see the way that they navigate those tricky moments in life. Ask them questions. Learn from them. God has put you in the same church as them so that you can do this, so that you can follow their example and learn what it's like to follow Jesus through thick and thin. If you're one of the younger generation, you don't forsake the older people amongst you. You have so much to learn from them. Uh, can I talk to you for a moment now if you're one of the older people amongst us? Especially if you're one of the older people who's been following Jesus for, for quite some time now. Here's what I want to say to you. Uh, be the kind of example that the younger generations can follow. You've stuck with Jesus for longer than some of us have been alive. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. You've got experience in life that we don't even know we need right now. 
please, will you show us what it's like to keep following Jesus? Even, even when life becomes hard and even when things get tricky and even when life turns against you. Will you please show us what it's like to keep following Jesus? Would you be willing to let us ask you questions and poke and prod and, 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 and talk with you? We need to be able to learn to keep walking, Jesus. We want to ask you, we want, we want your help to be able to do that so that we don't turn from him, even when life gets hard. And that really is the heart of Psalm 4, the, the, the central thing, the, the, the really key thing. It's really all about a psalm, about sticking with God. Even when, when life gets hard and things turn against us, it's a psalm about not giving up on God and not looking elsewhere for help or for hope, but finding that in our God alone. That's the heart of the psalm. That's really what it's about. But I don't think yet we've quite hit the high point of the psalm. I want to share with you now the thing that in the last week and a half as I've been preparing, the thing that has grabbed my heart. Uh, and it's all about the king's delight. What is, what, what's the thing that the king delights in in this psalm? In verse 6, the king prays for the good of his people. But then look at verse 7. What brings the king joy here? What does he delight in? Uh, verse 7. Fill my heart with joy when my grain and new wine abound. No, no, no. That's not what he says. Catch it again. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. That is, the king wants the good of the people. He prays for them to be blessed, for this, this, this problem with the crops to be over. He wants, he wants their good because that brings him joy. The thing that the king's heart delights in is not his own good, but it's the good of his people, which has huge implications for us. Right? This is a psalm written by King David. Written about a time back when he was alive, when crops were failing, that led to a spiritual crisis in the land. It's true, that's what the psalm is about. But ultimately, there's a greater thing that this psalm is about. This psalm is ultimately looking forward to a better king than David was. It's looking forward to the true king of God's people. This is a psalm about Jesus. And it's a psalm that reminds us how Jesus is dishonoured when we stray from God. When we don't stick with God through the hard times and look elsewhere for help and for hope, as if there was something better than God, it's a psalm that reminds us Jesus is dishonoured when that happens. But friends, it is a psalm that also reminds us, that speaks to us of what brings Jesus joy. It's a psalm that tells us what Jesus delights in. Get this, Jesus just doesn't want good for you. It brings Jesus joy when you experience God's blessing in your life. Did you get that? Jesus experience. It brings Jesus joy when you experience the goodness of God in your life. What a king. What a king to have. Friends, can you see Jesus' heart for you? I have a daughter, Eva. She's four. There she is. Hey, darling. She's at kindy this year. And most of the afternoons when she's at kindy, I get to pick her up. And she loves kindy. 
So most of the time, I'll get there and she comes to the gate and she's smiling, she's happy, she's carrying some kind of craft thing that she's done that day because that's what she loves doing at, at, at kindy. But it's rare. There is the occasional they have when she'll come to the gate and she'll be walking slowly and her shoulders are slumped. A bit of a frowny face. Clearly not happy. And I know things for her have not gone well that day. And I've noticed in myself how my emotion gets tied up with how her day has been. Like when she's had a good day, it just makes my day a little bit brighter as well. But when she's had a bad day... I kind of feel bad for her. I, I get a sense of being sad with her. It's kind of like what Jesus is for us. It's not that he just is, he, he wants us to be happy-go-lucky people all the time. It's not that he's just sitting there kind of going, oh, I really hope they have a good day today so I can feel better about it as well. For Jesus, it's much bigger than that. It's much deeper than that for Jesus. What does he want for us? What will bring him joy? It's to experience the fullness of God's blessings. To delight in God even when things get hard. And so we'll stick with God right through until the end when Jesus takes us to be with God in the new creation. That is the thing that will bring Jesus joy. When we get to be with him in the new creation and experience the totality of God's blessings there. That is what Jesus not just wants for you, but that is what will bring Jesus joy. Friends, let me ask you again. Do you see the heart of your Lord Jesus for you? He wants your ultimate good. And he wants you to know this now. Because we live in a world where... We're going to go through hard times. Be assured we're going to go through hard times in life. If, if you haven't had that happen yet, uh, that's okay. It will come at some point. Relationships go bad. Our bodies are fragile. The world around us doesn't work all the time. And sometimes life just feels like it takes a wrong turn, right? And in the midst of those things happening, Jesus wants us not to give up on God, to stick with God, fully committed not turning to somewhere else. And Jesus wants this for you because he knows that the fullness of God's blessings will come on you in the new creation. The new creation is guaranteed. It's not felt fully just yet. But Jesus doesn't want you to miss out. His great joy will be seeing you in the paradise to come. Do you see Jesus' heart for you? Today I haven't tried to explain why God allows these difficult things to happen in our life. The passage just doesn't go there today. But we have still seen a reason to stick with God, despite trying times, haven't we? Because we see our Lord's heart for us. A heart that just doesn't want our good but finds joy in our good. That's the heart of our king. And this actually does help us when life takes those unexpected turns. Because it assures me of Jesus' goodness. Even when I don't feel like there's any good happening right now. It means I can trust him 
even though I'm walking through tough moments in life. And it reminds me to keep going, to not give up following God, even when life is hard, but keep pressing ahead, looking forward to the thing that will bring Jesus joy, looking forward to the new creation and the joy of my Lord when he sees me there with him. Friends, I want to pray at that point. Will you pray with me? Our Father God, this psalm is challenging because it reminds us time and again to stick with you. It speaks to us of the world being broken and us experiencing hardship. And so we wanted to pray, Lord, when those come in our lives, please would you prepare us so that we can stick with you. Please hold on to us even when we are finding it tough, especially when we're finding it tough. And we thank you for what this psalm tells us about Jesus' heart for us. He doesn't just want good for us, but he finds joy when we experience the good things that you have in store for us. So, God, we pray, help us keep persevering. Please take us, when the time is right, take us to the new creation. And we pray that Jesus would have so much joy and we would have joy with him when we're there with you. We need your help in this, Father. Please would you help us. In the name of Christ. Amen.